0: Well hi, Bert Alcorn here, Lead Pastor of Anthem Ventura. You're listening to the Anthem Ventura podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen and track with our teachings. The sermon you're about to hear has been prayed and labored over, and we really do hope you find this useful and an aid of your discipleship to Jesus. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about Anthem, visit us online at anthemventura.org or you can download our mobile app from the iTunes or Google Play App Store. Enjoy the next hour or so. We have prayed that God would use it in profound ways in the lives of anyone that may hear it. Thanks so much. So yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I love being here. I love this crew. I love it's so cool to be in a room like this. I, this is a, a baby church, if I may say so, and what we're headed into is a, a church that's not even been conceived yet, and so excuse the, the weird metaphor, but this, it's just amazing to be with you guys and um, get a taste of what we're, we're heading into. Um, like Bert said, my name is Josh. I wanted to start today and tell you just a little bit about who I am. Tell you a little bit of my story. Uh, I am from Colorado originally, and so I, I actually had a friend recently tell me, he's like, I don't understand any of your references to anything. Maybe it's because you're from the Midwest, and that really stung. Uh, I, I don't consider Denver the Midwest. I consider it an upcoming cool and with it city, but <laughs> whatever. I guess I'm Midwestern. Um, so turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 20. That's where we're going to be today. But I'm going to begin with just telling you a little bit about who I am. The wind is blowing my pages. Is, is it possible to... Sorry, awkward moment. <clears throat> so I really wanted to have a joke right up front, I'll just tell you, because uh, I'm going to tell some of my story. And it's a little heavy. And I have tried. I taught this morning at uh, Anthem Camarillo, and all the jokes were terrible. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, basically, I don't have one. Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a joke. I was going to tell you, like, I'm 32, and uh, to give you reference of the era I was born in, my family has tons of pictures where we all dressed the same, like, all white or all denim, and uh, it would have been really awesome to bring a a picture to put up there, but I didn't do that. Uh, So that's kind of funny, right? Uh, Well, anyway, okay. Yikes. Oh, my gosh. All right, here we go. About 11 years ago, uh, my life was a disaster. So yeah, it's starting off a little (laughs) little heavy. Uh, 11 years ago, my family was totally embarrassed of who I was. Uh, I was in a cycle of sin, and to be honest, I don't even, I don't I think I really even wanted to get out of the sin I was in. I, I, I wanted to be doing what I was doing. And, you know, every, we're all a work in progress, right? But this was different. I, I was just in such a low spot in my life, and um, I wanted to be Kurt Cobain. I was a musician growing up, and uh, I, I had dreams of being famous which honestly is just so cliche and dumb and I chased this dream into dive bars and brought my life to a really embarrassing place and I gave my family kind of the proverbial finger I didn't actually give them the finger they're Southern Baptist I was too scared to do that to my dad he would have you know give me a whooping or something but uh, uh, around 11 years ago though I decided sort of sheepishly, I guess I want to try and do this Jesus thing. And that's kind of how I thought of it, too, just being totally honest. I was just at this point of, my life is not working, what I'm doing isn't working, I guess I could try the thing that my parents wanted me to do, uh, and, and do the thing of being a Christian. And I'll try that out. And, And what was crazy is uh, my family, they actually forgave me. They received me back into their home. And uh, long story short, I I ended up committing my life to Jesus. And I ended up in California at this church in Simi Valley. Actually, it's where I met Bert. Uh, And I was at this church where there's this teacher, some of you might have heard of, named Francis Chan. And I was going to these Sunday services and just getting wrecked. And I really believe it was just the Spirit of God hitting me week after week. And my brother, when he was trying to get me to move out to California in the first place, he was saying, man, you just got to experience this thing. It's called community. <laughs> and it was 10 years ago at this point. And so I really, it was like at that point, talking about community was a kind of a new and fresh thing in the church. And if you've been around the church at all recently, we talk about it a lot. And it was true though. When I showed up at this church I mean, really, I, I was a loser, guys. Like, I, not that long hair is bad. This is actually the wrong crowd to say this. But uh, I, <laughs> I had super long hair, and uh, I, I mean, I smoked a lot of cigarettes, and um, whatever. I, just, like, um, I was emo and just not fun to be around, and there was no life in me, and this community received me, and they loved me. I had no job. My brother put me uh, up at his house and bought me a bed. I remember he bought me a bed, Uh, and I remember the first week that I was in California. This is really funny. uh, I got some people that I had just met to go downtown LA, and we went to see a show, and because uh, that's the kind of thing I was into and I didn't know about parking in Los Angeles and you know you can't park in certain places they have signs you know like tons of them and uh, you have to read every single one because it's like comma this whatever and I got my car impounded and this person who I just met uh, paid $350 to get my car out of the impoundment I just was like F- who are you like who does this kind of this girl didn't even know me and I look back on this moment in my life now. Thing after thing occurred, and I know that it was the Lord mercying me back into His arms. He pursued me when I did not deserve to be pursued. I didn't deserve anything. I was a waste of space. I was. But God gave me what felt like everything. I got a second chance. And something kind of strange started happening when I I started saying, "Jesus, I want to follow you." Uh, I I think it's really it's it's interesting, and I think Satan does work like this. But around that time, I started to kind of just say, "Okay, I'm going to go for this." I started to have demonic experiences and some dark, weird dreams. And I I don't mean to freak you guys out uh, by telling this, but this is just what happened to me. And so my brother, he said, Josh we just, we need to start praying in your room. Uh, Before you go to bed, we just need to pray for the presence of Jesus to be in your room, and not the presence of whatever else is going on. And so, I was like, you know what? Okay. I mean, it was really freaking me out, guys. I mean, it wasn't just like a weird dream. I really sensed the presence of darkness, and I'm not kidding. It was like within a day or two, I actually started having these really amazing dreams, and and those dreams were gone. And I had this experience one morning. I don't know if you guys ever had like a lucid dream or kind of like half awake, half asleep, like coming awake. And I sensed that the Lord was saying to me, Read Mark 5, read Mark 5, read Mark 5. And whether you believe that kind of stuff happens or not, I read Mark 5. And this story in this chapter, it just hit me. And I'll tell you it really quickly. This is not even the scripture we're going through today. I apologize. We'll get there. In Mark 5, there's this man who's, he's overtaken by demons. And the town can't stand him. He's a nuisance. He's an embarrassment to the city. And so they chain him up on the cliff. And Often he actually is able to break out of the chains because of the weird demonic power that this man has. And so Jesus, he comes and he sees this man, and he releases the demons. In mercy for this man, he releases them, and the demons, they go into the pigs, and these pigs, they run off the cliff. And so the town, they're like, Jesus, like, what the heck, man? That's our livestock? You just killed all our pigs? We're going to have to ask you to leave. Uh, You have to imagine. They're like, we're going to kick your butt if you don't get out." Okay. So Jesus and the disciples, they get into their boat to leave. And the man, he goes to Jesus and he says, can I come with you? And then the thing he says that Jesus responds to this man with is he says, go home to your friends and tell them of the mercy that I have shown you. And guys, like this phrase, it hit me. And I just, I just felt the Lord saying, that is for you, Josh. What the Lord has done for you, go to your friends and tell them of the mercy that I have shown you. Because again, guys, I, don't, I, I feel like I didn't deserve any of what I was receiving. And from that moment, it was, it was a huge moment in my life. I decided to go to Bible college. Not that you all need to do that when you give your life to Jesus. But for me, I gave myself to wanting to lead worship, and now we want to plant a church. And Josh from 10 years ago would not believe that I'm standing up here talking in front of a bunch of people about wanting to follow Jesus. It's crazy. I knew I didn't deserve mercy. I didn't deserve a second chance. But I actually got that and way, way more. I realized my own blindness. I realized my own desperation. I realized that I could not do anything on my own. Like, actually, I couldn't. I had no job, no money, no skills, no talents, you know? Like, there's nothing. Uh, my brother seriously paid for everything uh, when I first moved to California. And my story is that God pursued a blind, sinful, young man who deserved nothing and gave him everything. But I want to say to you, there's, a, there's actually a problem with me telling you that story. I want to point it out. Some of you, you hear that and you're like, yes, I've hit rock bottom too. And I resonate with that, Josh. But I think there's a lot of you in here that maybe you don't. Maybe you never hit rock bottom I actually had this sweet girl from our community group, she, she came to me, we were doing a lot of sharing our stories in our community group in Thousand Oaks, and she said, Josh, I don't want to share my story because I don't think I have one. Josh, I've, I've never really been in like a downward spiral of disobedience, I've never really drank too much, as far back as I can remember, I've been a Christian. Um, and honestly, you guys should meet this girl. It's like, it, it's pretty much true. She's probably the nicest person I've ever met. I actually can't imagine her sinning ever. <laughs> and, she, I'm not, and she's not fake. This girl genuinely loves the Lord and wants to follow him. And there's people like that in this room as well. Not everybody needs a rock-bottom story. And I actually would pray against it for you and for your children. Like, please, Lord, no. The problem with a rock-bottom story like mine is that it can make some of you feel like you don't need God's mercy as much as someone like me. And the problem with a story like mine is that it can make some people think that they need to have a moment of, of hitting the bottom in order to then need God in their lives. Like, I think for some of us, it's hard to even see, like, why do I need God? Why do I need mercy even in the first place? And you just need to know, I want you to hear my goal for today. Every one of you is needy. Every one of you needs to plead before an awesome and holy God. That is your state. Even if you don't have a story like mine, you may need mercy for something completely different than me. But you need mercy nonetheless. And today, in this story, in Matthew chapter 20, there are two men who receive mercy and they don't deserve it. And my prayer is that you, it's these two blind beggars. And I want us today to see ourselves in these blind beggars. And so let's open up to Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Let's pray together. Spirit, I pray that you would bring just, Lord, a sense of how much we need you, how much we need to be dependent on you, God, God, would you help every one of us in our different ways, in our different stories, realize tonight even how much we need you. God, how much we are insufficient. And God, I pray that as we realize our insufficiency, we would realize your sufficiency We would realize how much you have accomplished, how you you are everything, God. We can depend on you. God, it would lead to praise and worship uh, that we could give our lives over to you and trust you in faith. God, speak to us through your scriptures. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so tonight, I'd love to work through this very short but beautiful moment here in Matthew And I want us to think through this from the lens of two questions. Number one, what can we learn about God's posture towards us? From this little moment in Matthew, what can we learn about his posture towards us? And that'll be most of what we work through. And at the very end, I want us to think through what can we learn about our posture then towards God? And so first off, what can we learn about God's posture towards us? I want to ask this question. This will sound way too simple, but I want to ask it because Jesus is God. He is Lord. And so I say that because I think, as many of us read the Gospels, so often I think we accidentally divorce Jesus from his Trinitarian connection to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And so as we read the Gospels, we think so often... Well, that's Jesus. He's the kind and compassionate. He's the one who's doing the healings. He's the, he's the lovey one. God of the Old Testament, you know, he's kind of the warring, wrathful, kind of mean, angry God. And then Jesus comes along and he's cuddly. And I just, as we read through this story once again, I just want you to realize this is God's heart. This is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. His heart for the way that he's interacting with people and the types of response that he hopes for from from you and I. It's not just a Jesus thing that happened 2,000 years ago. It applies today. And so a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 1, it says, uh, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's speaking of Jesus. John 5, 19 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Jesus is the exact imprint of God the Father. He only does what the Father is doing. I just think it's important as we go through this, and I want you to keep that in your mind as we move forward. And so, here in this final narrative moment, right before Jesus enters Jerusalem, because Jesus has been setting his face to go towards Jerusalem. From a few chapters back, Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. And so we're in the final moments, right before he lands in in Jerusalem. The text says that a great crowd followed Jesus. And so, it's interesting. A lot of commentators actually think, there's people who are just really, they're not like followers of Jesus. They're kind of more just like followers. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> they're just like following a crowd mindlessly. A lot of people, a lot of scholars think this is just a group of people that they're like, well, Jesus is doing some really cool stuff. We just kind of want to walk behind this group of people and see what happens. We hear that, got to wait for motors here in Ventura. Um, we hear that this Jesus is the, the long-awaited Messiah. And so, you know, we're really hoping that Jesus takes over Rome, uh, takes over the Roman occupancy, and that he, he is the new leader. And if that happens, we really want to be there to experience uh, what might come next. Maybe we can get a cool mansion in this new kingdom that Jesus is uh, setting up. Regardless, there are many people around all moving towards Jerusalem. And so where we've been and where we are going in the Gospel of Matthew, we know that Jesus, he's set his course to the cross. And so a lot of this crowd doesn't really know about the cross, but Jesus' disciples, they know. He's explained to them, I must go to the cross. And this is Jesus' driving force. It says in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus set his face to Jerusalem, And there's this sense that there is nothing that is going to stop Jesus. There is nothing that will get in the way of him accomplishing the will of the Father. Which brings us to this here in, in verse 29 of chapter 20. Actually, verse 30. This whole crowd, they're caught up in the buzz of Jesus. But then suddenly... There are blind beggars aggressively shouting from the side of the road, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Matthew uses this word, behold. He only uses it a couple times in the Gospel of Matthew. And it really is just like, surprise, there's blind beggars shouting. <laughs> and you can imagine this crowd, they're so annoyed. Like, I mean, I think we've all been there. You know, you're, you're doing your thing. I mean, even like walking down Main Street, You're talking to your good friend and then suddenly just someone bombs in on what you're doing and you're like, dude, come on. It actually, this doesn't really relate, but it reminds me of the first time I wanted to ask my now wife out uh, to go on a date. I was at this party in Camarillo, and a bunch of us, I was leaving this house, and we were walking down the steps, and my friend Forrest Harry, if you guys know him, uh, he literally jumped down these steps right in front of us, and he was like, hey guys, what are you doing? And I was thinking, ah, oh, trying to ask this girl out, and he's like, oh cool, I'll walk with you, and he walked with us to the car, and I was just, oh my gosh, no. This crowd, they, they're seriously, just, I mean, they're walking with Jesus, the Messiah. And then suddenly, the most annoying, like, beggars, come on, man. Like, they just want some money. Someone throw some change at them. And then we can just be back with what we're doing with Jesus. And then they rebuke these beggars. I just, like, I can't even imagine that. You guys, like, yell at struggling homeless people? That seems really rude. But verse 32 is where I start to see the heart of God coming through the text. So look at verse 32. It says, And stopping, Jesus called them and said, Stop there. I just want to point out that Jesus stopped. Jesus is on his way to accomplish the most important task in all of time, the most important task in the whole universe, and he stops. And so what can we possibly learn about God's posture towards us? First of all, if you're taking notes, God sees you. God's posture is that he takes note of you when you call out to him. He stops and he sees you. These men do not matter. They're not people of prestige. They're probably not even religious men. We don't know, but probably not. And Jesus says, yeah, I stop. For these men right here. Listen to the words of Psalm 34, starting in verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. I love this last verse. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack nothing. Remember that Jesus, he only does the will of the Father. Like He only does that. And so God's heart is for these men in this moment. Jesus stops this train of people to address people who are basically a waste. Jesus goes on in verse 32. And he says to these blind men, what do you want me to do for you? Which I actually think is kind of an odd question. Think about it. I mean, it's Jesus. And he says, oh, what what do you want me to do for you? This is the Son of God. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Does he really need to ask, hey, what what do you guys need? I mean, really actually think about it. Does someone need spiritual insight even to see what these guys need? They are blind beggars. Like, I mean, it's like one of two things. They either need money or maybe they've heard about this Jesus person and they want to be healed, their eyes. So I, I actually think there really is something to this question, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus does not force anything on them, but he allows them to answer this question. And so, number two, what can we learn from this about God's posture towards us? I believe this is very much so. God wants us to ask. Our God delights in us asking for good gifts. I want you to think for a minute about the Gospels. If you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, think about the stories of Jesus. Can you remember moments where Jesus forces healing on someone? You have to be healed. Or where he forces someone to be to come out of being captive to sin, or where he forces the goodness of the kingdom of God on people. I just don't see that. It's not Jesus' way to force anything on anyone. Instead, As I think about the way of Jesus, he is constantly inviting people to see the beauty of the kingdom of God, to see that it's the most valuable thing in the whole universe. It's worth selling everything for. You could give away everything in your life for something so beautiful as the kingdom of God. But I don't see him cramming it down people's throats. I see Jesus wanting people to desire the things of the kingdom. He says, ask, seek, knock. Jesus wants people to want the things of the kingdom. He wants you to want the things of the kingdom. He wants you to ask him for good gifts. Remember back to Matthew chapter 7. It was a while ago when we talked through that. Uh, It says uh, in verse 10, which one of you, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a, serp- a serpent. First of all, that's kind of a, a weird phrase. I have two little children. I don't know if when they get older they'll start asking me for fish, but I kind of doubt it. Seems like a, maybe an old school, like 2,000 years ago kind of thing. <laughs> it's just super weird. And then like the imagery of like, oh, he asked me a fish. Ah, I give him a poisonous snake. Whoa, that's weird. So it goes on. Yeah, jokes are killing it this evening. Goes on in verse eleven. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Look at how this verse—it emphasizes give good gifts. It's not just gifts. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who, who ask him? I actually think there's just such a beauty in, in, this, in this writing here. The metaphor of a father, it just works perfectly. I mean, maybe you don't have a good father, but think about a good father. They want the best for their children. If you have children, you just want the best things for your children. And I think taking the analogy even further, children, they ask for stupid things. Like, please, Daddy, can I put my hand on burning stove? Oh, no, I want not that for you. Like, as a father, you want good, healthy things for your children. And so I I just love it so much because I really think we can be so audacious and bold with the way that we ask God. But just know, if you start asking for dumb things, just very likely that your father, he's good and he's going to say no. Like that's not good for you. Like I'm just begging every night for the Tesla 3. But it's just not happening. I don't know what's going on, but (laughs) I think there's, there's... it just makes sense. Jesus says, "What do you want me to do for you?" And I believe it just connects straight to this Matthew 7 line here. The God's posture is he wants us to ask. He wants us to want things from him. And so don't mistake God for a genie. Like I really I don't want you to hear me saying that. You can't just ask for whatever. But the beauty is is us, as we begin to ask and seek and knock from our Heavenly Father, for many of us, I think what is going to begin to happen is your heart is going to align with the things of God's heart. And as we begin to ask things that align with our Father's heart, like your son says, I want a banana. Oh, wow. Yeah, of course. Banana, kale, like (laughs) healthy things. You're getting them, son. Like, I am giving those things to you immediately, and the same is true. I have seen it happen, and I I just want to be honest. Like, there's, I am not a great prayer trying to grow, but I have definitely seen this to be true in my life. Where I began to ask for good things, and the Lord showed up. And so, on this point, I just want, I want to say, are we asking And, like, can we start as a community asking, do we see lack around here spiritually of certain things? Start asking God to do something about it. Lord, would you change the spiritual dynamic of this city block? Like, let's start asking, seeking, and knock. And I know you guys do that, but continue. And bust down the door of your heavenly Father saying, bring that to fruition. He wants that from you. His posture is, bring it on. Ask. So are we asking? Number three thing that I I think that we can learn about God's posture towards us from this story. God's posture towards us is compassion. Look at verse 34 in Matthew 20 again. The ESV says, And Jesus in pity touched their eyes. I read from the ESV. I love it. But I think the word pity is not helpful in this moment. Um. I don't think it's helpful for our uh, our modern interpretation of the word pity. A lot of other translations, they use the word compassion. The New American Standard, the New International Version, it's it's very commonly translated compassion. I just think pity, I mean, most of us, maybe just me, I think of Mr. T, I pity the fool, or (laughs) like, oh, I have pity on you. Ah, that's that's cute, you know? Like, that kind of like, to me, that's what it conjures up. Maybe I'm the only one. But the word can be translated compassion. It says, and Jesus moved with compassion, touched their eyes. To me, that is so different. Jesus is moved emotionally for the men who are on the side of the road, the Beckers. Here Jesus is representing the heart of God the Father. And isn't compassion so different than us? It is. Like, just think about your Facebook feed currently. Is it filled with compassion? Think about coffee shop conversations you overhear people having. I mean, maybe it's just super nice here in Ventura. But I hear people seething with anger at my coffee shop. Maybe it's just a Thousand Oaks problem. Probably. But I don't see compassion in our culture. And as I was thinking about this, like, I was thinking, like, if I was listening to a preacher talk about God is compassionate, he is love, he is mercy, I would just think, yeah, I've heard that, Josh. Like, dude, that's how many preachers? Like, over and over. yeah, God is love. Yeah, I've heard it a million times. But we need to continue to hear that our God is a compassionate God. His heart breaks for you. I believe his default posture towards you is compassion. Survey the scriptures. Yes, there's moments where he's angry. It is true. But he is compassionate. Those running away from God in this community who hate God and spit in his face, God is compassionate towards them. He wants them. I just just think we need to hear that. And it's In this verse, this is how Jesus looks at the blind beggars. He cares for them and He cares for you. I believe we can see that from this passage. Until we begin to truly realize how much compassion, how much love, how much mercy God has for us, until we realize this, I believe our passion as a church is going to be lackluster. I think until we realize how much love and mercy is poured out on us as individual believers, I think our passion as, as Jesus' followers is going to be low. Luke 7:47 says, "He who is forgiven little loves little." So if you don't feel like you need that much mercy, if you haven't been given that much mercy and compassion from God the Father in your life, you probably don't extend much mercy. You probably don't extend much compassion into the world. I, I see that to be true. When I start to realize, oh my gosh, like all the things God forgives me for, and then Bert offends me or something like that, I'm just like, who, who cares? I don't deserve to Bert to be nice to me in the first place. God has given me so much. The love that has been poured out on me, it, it just makes everything kind of wash away. Like I don't need to be insecure I am insecure, by the way, incredibly. But I don't need to be when I realize the compassion and the love that God actually has for me, and he has it for you too. I think if you don't hear any of the other noise that I'm making tonight, uh, hear that, please. He loves you. God loves you a heck of a lot. Even if you're a mess. God loves people who are a mess. It's just his favorite business to work on people like you and me. Let's let's land this with uh, what can we learn about our our posture towards God from this. And I just want to quickly read through this story again. Um, Matthew 20, 29 through 34, says, And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. What can we learn about our posture towards God from this, this passage? I think these blind beggar guys, they're awesome. We should be like them. They are bold. They're audacious in their desperation. Like Think about it. These guys just don't care. They're so socially awkward. It's not the thing to do to start shouting in public. That's not cool now. It wasn't cool then. But they didn't care. I mean, think about their state of life. They are blind, and they are beggars. You can't get lower than blind beggar. Like They can't get a job. They can't go do anything without help from anyone else. Their state of being is total, utter neediness. And they're just like, that's who we are, and we're bold about it. And Jesus, can you help us? Would you have a mercy on us? And we, every one of us, need to be just like that. Whether you've sinned a little or sinned a lot, none of us is righteous. Not even one. When we are held up to God's beautiful and awesome standard. We're not gonna we're not gonna meet up to his standard at all. We are desperate and needy beggars. Which sounds so terrifying. But then we think back, but he's compassionate. He loves you, he sees you, he cares about where you are. You may I feel so often like the Lord's just not seeing where I'm at right now. Like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. God, are you even out there? But he he is, and he sees you, and he stops, and he wants good gifts for you. And so this question that, that Jesus asks the blind beggars, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And so I want us to wrap with that question pointed at us what do we want Jesus to do, do for us? Not like a genie question, like, oh, I'm going to ask for a thousand wishes so I can get to, whatever, uh, Aladdin reference, but (laughs) failing in the jokes. (laughs) What do you want me to do for you, Jesus says. And he's asking us the same thing. These men, think about what they brought. They said, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Like, I think you've been there in prayer circles before where it's like people go around with their prayer requests and, and no offense, but like the old, sorry, not the old, uh, the request of, hey, my, my Aunt Betty, she's got a cough. Like, could we pray for her? That is not what these guys are answering with when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? They are not bringing some trite prayer like, oh, man, like, uh, I need to pass a test. or Those are great to pray for. That's a different sermon for a different day. These men bring their most deep, broken thing, the thing that covers and, and shades their whole life. They're saying, Jesus, what about this? Could you do something about our blindness? So for us tonight, Jesus, what... Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you? And I think for for some of us, it may just even be giving your life to Jesus for the first time, that you would have your spiritual blindness taken away. And Jesus, he can do that. He has begun to do that and heal that blindness in my life. And I want that for, for every one of you. I don't know. A lot of you in this room. So I don't know your stories, and so I'm not like thinking, oh, it's got to be this person. I don't live here in Ventura. I think for some of us, though, I, I know there are a lot of believers in the room. I think for some of you, Jesus, what says, what do you want me to do for you? I think there's many of us that that carry these broken parts of us that we're just hiding. And Jesus wants you to bring those things to him. There's, there was moments when I first came to Jesus when I would sit in my mentor's office and I was just like, I'm going to tell my mentor this thing right now. And I don't know if this is cool in Christian circles, but I'm just going to tell him because it's this thing I did and I can't not tell anyone else. And this might, this might be the end. This might be like the period at the end of the sentence, but I'm going to tell him. And I'm telling you guys the Lord met me there. Christian community met me there. I was not kicked out of church for sharing dark things that I've done before and things that I'm ashamed of. I was met with, praise the Lord. God wants to heal you from that. And I want that for some of you guys tonight. I, just, I have many times just walked ashamed and hiding and And Jesus wants to release you from that with compassion and with love and uh, not shaming you through it. And so let's stand together. As we come into a time of worship, I just want that, that question to be on your mind. What do you want me to do for you? And I think now, now's the time for us to maybe even respond like these blind beggars. It says they cried out to God. When was the last time you cried out to God? I mean, maybe that's a vocal thing you actually do here tonight. Uh, maybe it's something you do in your soul. You cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm desperate, and I have much need of you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we glorify you. We say thank you for your love and your compassion. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross on our behalf. All of us who did not deserve it, but you gave of yourself so openly, so freely. You just gave your life for people who didn't deserve it. And thank you, Jesus. We say thank you. God, I pray that we could just respond with joy. Lord, uh, I pray that you could even just change the tone in the room. It's been heavy a little bit. God, you bring joy. Lord, we rejoice in what you've done. We just, we say thank you, Lord. I pray that we would just be able to praise your name. We would sing out and uh, respond just, man, I just can't stop saying thank you. God, we're grateful. Thank you, thank you.